Hello, and welcome to Totally Buggin', the podcast about all things creepy crawly. We are your host organisms, Cammie. And Faith. So, a while back, Faith and I presented at the Eberly College of Science Fall Poster Exhibition. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. And we didn't win crap. Yeah, that was... <laughs> no one, unless you were doing, like, some kind of gene experiment in like human cancer cells you didn't win anything that was ridiculous because we had the best posters there obviously (laughs) obviously yes well faith this was your first like time presenting a poster like this right yeah Mm -hmm. what did you think um well first what can you what can you tell our listeners who've never been to this sort of event what it's what what is it like so what it is um from the students what's up Anyway, what it is from my perspective is I got an email about like, hey, we're asking people to present at this poser symposium, poser, poster symposium, and you sign up and then you make a poster about the work you've been doing. And if you're me, you figure it all out and you put it on a PowerPoint slide and then you go to your lab meeting And you have everyone in your lab roast the poster because it would have been printed out to be like two inches by four inches on a 36 by 24 page poster. And then your laptop dies and then you (laughs) slam the laptop shut in the middle of lab. And that's a new joke now. But um, anyway, we fixed it. And I'm just joking. If anyone from the lab is listening, A, you know I love you. B, you guys gave a lot of help and it was very helpful. And then... You print out, you pick up your poster at Staples, and then you go and you talk about it to basically anybody who comes up to uh, your poster for, like, an hour, maybe two. Well, you don't talk to, you don't talk to them for an hour. You do, like, a quick little... No, you do a quick little... Um, rundown of, of uh, the poster. Yeah, of for what like, you're presenting. For, like, two minutes, but then you're doing those two minutes over and over. And over and over for, like, two hours. For, like, two hours. Mm-hmm. But it was really fun. Um, I had a lot of people, like, obviously, Cammy and I were there for each other. But, like, mm-hmm. everyone from my lab came to see Cammy's family, mm-hmm. came to see Cammy, and also saw me, too. Um, my lovely boyfriend came to see me and speak. And it was really fun to just, like, get lost in talking about it with people. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. Yeah. What did you think, Cammy? I've done these before, and I always have fun with them. Uh I always also really need a drink of water afterwards, though, because oh, yeah, right, you have yeah. to talk so much, and it's a really small space, so you have to be really loud. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Also, for the record, the people who did place, like, they did do a very good job. No, they did We're a good job. We're just being bitter. <laughs> we're being bitter that no one, like, we were the only two entomology people there, mm-hmm. and... Um, and we got snubbed. And we got snubbed, Yeah. But, you know, everybody did a great job and yada, yada, yada. (laughs) No, yeah, everyone did do a great job. It's just my bugs are cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, So we thought that uh, today we could each tell you a little bit about um, some of the research that we've done that we were presenting at the poster symposium or the exhibition. So, Faith, would you like to go first or should I? Uh, Matters not to me. What do you prefer? Ladies first. We're both ladies. My lord. <laughs> Thank you, my lord. Mm-hmm. 
So basically what I've been looking at, um, I looked at, I did this project um, over the summer. So this is May 2023 to about September 2023. Um, I was looking at the effects of cover crop soils on aphis neri population dynamics. And I'm going to, basically the best way to explain my project to you is just break down that title. Yep. So cover crop soils are soils that have plants that are grown in between sets of cash crops, um, like how people rotate uh, corn and soy corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. So that, and the idea is that you have your cash crop taking up all the nutrients, all the water, all the good stuff, and then you plant a crop after a cover crop to um, replenish the soil with nutrients, prevent soil erosion, put moisture back into the soil, all that good stuff. Um, and my lab works with uh, four different um, cover crop soils mainly. We work with radish soil, where you plant radishes, and pea soil, where you plant pea. And <laughs> pea. Um, and we work with triticale or triticale. I've heard it both ways. Um, and we also work with fallow, which is funny because fallow is supposed to be nothing. Fallow is supposed to be just dirt, but fallow is never just dirt. Weeds always grow in it, mm-hmm. and stuff always gets funky. So as we say in the lab, fallow is a fallacy. <laughs> That's good. Can you not autoclave it? Like, does that not help? Uh, I mean, maybe, but we just kind of deal with it. Okay. Like, I genuinely I genuinely don't know if, like, autoclaving it would have an effect after. I think it would... Well, it would kill most of the soil microbes as well. Yeah, but we want to look at the effects of those microbes. It's just you don't want the... You don't want the, um, like, plants in fallow, like the weeds... But weeds, you can't control that. Like, because our testing site is uh, non uh, herbicide. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not allowed to spray there. So, you can't spray the weeds in the fallow patches. So, you just kind of have to deal with fallow for what it is. But I didn't use it in my project. I used pea and radish soil. Um, I use these two soils because pea is a leguminous soil and is more nitrogenous than radish soil so I thought these would give me two very like distinct soil legacies and then I grew milkweed plants in them I grew two different types I grew common milkweed and butterfly milkweed and um they're distinct species but they're still like very similar they're just thought to have like different um basically plant defense levels which is when plants produce different toxins to stop insects eating them, basically. So that's the first part of my project, is the cover crop soils. And then aphis neri population dynamics, those are my buggies. That's where the buggies I was working with. So after I grew all my milkweed plants um, in my pea and radish soil, I took them and I put five adult um, aphis neri, which are just little aphids. They're adorable, actually. They're little yellow aphids. And I let them grow on the plants for 10 days, and then I looked at the difference in population numbers, and I did see um, a difference in one of my treatments in the different life stages of my aphis neri, but that is is unpublished data. 
Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get into it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was fun. I got to talk to a lot of people about it. Um, I got to make a beautiful poster because of my lab mates. That is, well, my lab mates and my PI, which is still downstairs in my kitchen. And I need to, <laughs> I need to take it into work. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. I really liked it. I yeah. liked getting to brag about my work and sound smart. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready to, well, I'm not ready to, but I want to present this either this poster or give a talk about this same data again. Mm-hmm. Um, in the spring, I'm planning on going to the Eastern Branch Entomology Meeting. Cool. Take it away, Cammy. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Faith. Mm-hmm. My project is from an internship that I did in summer of 2022. I participated in the Bees and Microbes in Organized Research Experiences, or Be More program. Mm. Um, so I was working in a lab at North Carolina State University in Dr. David Tarpey's lab. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working with honeybees. So mm. I'm going to give you a little bit of background to start with. So first off on honeybees. So Apis mellifera is the most common species of honeybee in the world. They're eusocial, which means that they live in colonies and have rigid social roles. Each colony has a single queen bee who's responsible for the reproduction of the hive. Worker bees are non-reproductive females that perform all other tasks. Young worker bees that care for the brood are known as nurses that synthesize brood food from glands and regurgitate it to feed the larvae. So that's the uh, basics on honeybees. Then we have varroa mites, which are a parasite. Varroa destructor is a parasitic mite that feeds on the hemolymph and fat body tissue of adult and developing honeybees. So hemolymph is kind of similar in function to blood in humans. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fat body tissue kind of acts like the human liver. It um, processes toxins and that's where those things are stored. Varroa mites pose a severe problem in the management of honeybees by weakening individuals and vectoring diseases throughout the colony. These mites are invasive and have spread from Asia to hives as far as Australia and the U.S. Okay, there's one more thing that I have to explain before I get into the concept that uh, we were going into for the experiment that I was working on. So next is pathogens. Honeybees are hosts to a wide variety of pathogens. The most problematic ones are RNA viruses associated with the varroa mite, the parasitic mite that I just talked about, because the viruses have no immediate treatment and will quickly escalate to colony loss. These diseases are difficult to diagnose without expensive molecular testing due to their symptoms being very similar and the prominence of asymptomatic infections. So honeybee disease is really costly to beekeepers. And there's been a lot of research about each of these factors, the honeybees, the varroa mites, and the pathogens individually. But very little is known about the interaction between them over the course of a season. So for my project that I did as part of my internship, we studied the effects of honeybee cast, varroa mite presence, time in the season, and co-infection on the presence and intensity of eight common honeybee pathogens. The hypothesis that we had was that later in the season, colonies would have higher viral presence or prevalence and intensity, 
And the same would be true of colonies with more Varroa mites. So the way that we tested this was uh, we had a bunch of honeybees from different hives that had been collected over the course of a season. This had been, the collection had already been done by the time I arrived to work on this project. So I was processing the samples and analyzing them. I didn't actually collect them. But basically you scoop random honeybees from each cast every other week to collect them. Then they're frozen and the frozen bees are ground into a fine homogenized powder. This is where I started. Mm-hmm. Um, then you extract their RNA, which is some of their genetic material. Uh, it's quantified and diluted. And then you convert RNA to cDNA and screen those for pathogens using qPCR. Faith, do you know what qPCR is? Um, I've done... I don't know if I've done qPCR, but I've done PCR before, mm-hmm. and it's um, a process where you're replicating RNA. We had to do it for what was it? Bio four fifty nine, something like that. Something like that, and it's like you split it apart, and then you attach the what are they the primers the primers onto it, and then. Um, you have the free little bases in the solution, and they basically go as they bind onto it and elongate the strands so that you have eventually, like, a billion copies of your target DNA piece. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, explanation of the process. Um, QPCR stands for Quantitative Polymerase Chain Reaction, so that's a way of uh, amplifying a DNA sample or amplifying um, genetic material and then uh, comparing it to a known quantity of uh, the thing that you're looking for, basically. Mm -hmm. So we took eight different uh, diseases that we were looking for and we kind of just did, first off, were they present in the sample, yes or no? And if they were present, how... how much uh, virus or pathogen were we seeing in that sample. So we took all of those things and uh, we're comparing the results that we're getting between the casts and throughout the season. So what we found that was most interesting to me is that uh, the way that beekeepers typically are testing their hives for disease is not the best way to... Uh, it's not the best way to catch disease early and uh, be able to prevent it from spreading to other hives. So usually what they'll do is they'll take random workers and they'll test them and use that as a representation of the health of the colony overall. The data suggests that nurse bees are actually the best indicator of overall colony health. So by sampling nurse bees rather than workers without an age control, Beekeepers can more more accurately detect early epidemics within a colony and prevent the disease from spreading to nearby colonies, which would reduce overall managed colony loss and economic damages. So the reason why we think this is, is that nurse bees are the ones that are directly taking care of the baby bees, the brood. So the way they do that is by spitting up into their mouths. That's a great way to spread disease. 
So they're having these interactions with adult honeybees and with the brood. So that's kind of how they're like this indicator for when yeah. they're going to get sick earlier and they're going to get sick much more intensely. And they're also going to spread the sickness. Exactly. Once they start getting sick, they're going to spread it more. Um, so that was, uh, the main finding that I talked about in my presentation, but, um, the project is ongoing and the Turkey Lab is going to continue analyzing the data that we collected and analyzed and hopefully be able to find some other interesting patterns that will help beekeepers and it will save them a lot of money and us a lot of honey. I mean, what's better than that? Money and honey? Yes. <laughs> okay, and it's, it's like 8 p.m. This yeah. is the fourth this is the fourth episode we're recording tonight. Yeah. We're very tired. Mhm. All right. Uh any final notes about the uh about the exhibition? No, I'm ready to go do this at a conference, at a big boy conference. Whoop 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 whoop. All right. Thank you for listening to us talk about uh yeah. some of our work. We get to talk about our work now. It's Ooh. fun. We we have data. Woo! Hooray! <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Totally Buggin. You can support Totally Buggin by following us on your favorite podcast platform and sharing our episodes with your friends. We can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for updates, episode previews, and additional content. You can also message us on those sites to request episode topics. Our website is currently under construction, but it will be back up soon. Thank you.